0: Well, good morning, everybody. If you're a guest with us, my name's John. And even if you're not a guest with us, my name is still John. Um, but I, I wanted to, I, I just thought of something. As, as a congregation, we, uh, we've we've learned some stuff about our community, and I, I'm, I'm not one who was raised in the church. And we've kind of learned that um, some people wonder if they can just come to a service at a church. And for for those uh, of us maybe who've been around the church our whole life, we think, wow, how could how could somebody think that? But many people in our community don't know if like our doors are open to everybody and you can just come. So we, we try to make that known by sending out a postcard uh, several times a year to our community. We send out eight or 9,000 postcards. So if you found yourself here this morning in response to receiving that, we welcome you. Uh, we're so glad that you came to join us today. We, we're really working on trying to be a church that feels more like family than just coming together in a big group of of distant relationships where you don't really know anybody. So uh, we welcome you to that. We welcome you to engage that in any way you'd like. Uh, A natural first step would be to connect with Jordan at that big table in the lobby after the service. She's got some, I'll tell you what the gift is. It's a little jar of designer honey from a, a locally sourced company out in Hudsonville. It's really good stuff. So go grab that and we welcome you. Uh, You're you're catching us in the middle of a series um, that's taking us through this season of Advent, which I'll say a bit more about in a moment. Uh, But before we dive into that, let's pray, shall we? God, thank you for the Bible. Uh, Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the message of grace that you have extended to the world uh, in Jesus and beginning at that first Christmas long ago. Um, We thank you for all of this and pray now, God, that you would pour out your spirit on us Help us hear you, uh, not me, because we need to hear from you, not any person. So help us, God. We love you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So uh, the biblical command to keep watch uh, is something that Jesus himself left us. He spoke these words, therefore keep watch because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. And when when Jesus said that, he was telling us to, to actually do something. Not this isn't a passive uh, keeping watch. I, I think God is asking us to be active in this, uh, kind of kind of like um, like we were posted on a watchtower. You know, any ancient soldier who pulled the graveyard shift on the watchtower uh, knew uh, very well the difference between knowing that you are supposed to be watching and actually watching, big difference between those two things. And this season in the church is about actually watching. Well, what do we do to do that? And Jordan said a little bit about this last week, but if, if you're newer to the church calendar or this idea of Advent at all, uh, it's important to know that every year the church around the world sets aside the first 12th of its calendar to practice active waiting, keeping watch. What do we actually do to do that? I mean, we we need that in the church. You know, back in the early church, uh, those believers had heard Jesus make promises that he would return very soon, And also, as Jordan mentioned last week, that led some of those early believers into some problematic situations which some of the the apostles needed to address. Specifically, the the apostle Paul in his first letter uh, to the church in Thessalonica talked about a couple. Uh, First, people expected Jesus to come back so soon that they were quitting their jobs because they thought, well, why work if Jesus is coming back? So Paul had to write to them and say, hey, wait a second, if you don't work, you don't eat. So you know, keep working. that would be a good thing um, and and the second and much more serious issue was that people in the church began to die to this life before Jesus returned, and the Christians didn 't know what to do with that and and thus, from that we get one of the one of the great funeral texts uh, upon which I actually preached yesterday at Cora's funeral. Uh, you know th- this idea that uh, the, the Christians were wondering what happened to their friends who died and the apostle Paul writes. Uh, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death and so grieve like the rest who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. It's great, great comfort. They were expecting Jesus to return. There was more time than they thought. Friends, family began to die, so the apostle wrote directly to them, you don't need to worry. Jesus is alive right now and he takes those we've loved and lost to be with him where he is. Uh, but the, the point being, the early church was waiting expectantly for Jesus to return. So expectantly it was causing problems. If, if you look over the course of history, it was somewhere in the Middle Ages when uh, the, the focus of the church began to shift a little bit from looking exclusively forward to the return of Jesus kind of looking backward a bit and and that tendency has been accentuated until we find ourselves this day in, in our culture when we come to the time of Christmas you know we're thinking more Christmas than Advent and we're, we're tending to remember that Jesus was born we might celebrate Christmas tell the stories of Jesus' birth all of that's appropriate but the season of Advent is about reorienting our gaze because if we're only looking backwards we can get stuck in a kind of faith version of navel-gazing, right? It it would be the equivalent of hopping in your car, throwing it in a drive, fixing your eyes exclusively on the rearview mirror and punching the gas. I mean, you could do that. It would be a really bad idea, but you could do that. This this whole time in the church year is an eyes-forward kind of time. Get your eyes out of the rearview mirror and look forward again. One of the ways we do that, wait actively, keep watch, get our eyes looking forward again, is by preparing the way for the Lord in our own lives. Let's listen to the scripture, the Gospel of Matthew, and what it says about how we can prepare the way for the Lord.
1: In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and was saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the region of Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is ready at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chap with unquestionable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks
0: Molly. I, I think it was five or six years ago I preached this text, and I wore my camel hair sport coat that day. <laughs> You remember that? Chad Farron pointed that that out. John wearing camels. Okay. Note to self, don't wear that when you preach John the Baptist. (laughs) Um, You know, John the Baptist uh, and Jesus brought very similar fundamental messages. And it was here uh, where we see what John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Um, you know, Jesus added a little bit. He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus added a piece, which we'll say more about later. But the, the invitation that John extended uh, from the Lord was repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. There's a, an imperative and the rationale for that imperative, a command and the reason for it. The command repent And the reason, for or because, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Something has changed. And now if this was the message that God gave John and it was the message that Jesus spoke, I mean the heart of his message to the world, we should get this one right because it seems a big ticket item. So let's kind of dissect it and uh, maybe take it backwards. The kingdom of God First and then has come near next, and then the command repent so the the kingdom of God i this is a personally this is a really important thing and because, because biblically it 's a really important thing. I remember when I was applying for this position at this church, and Jan Fields was the search team leader uh, in our in our denomination. you have to fill out kind of a minister 's profile it 's an extended resume, like a ten to fifteen page deal. And one of the questions included there was, uh, if if people shaped by your ministry could articulate what they thought to be most important, what would you hope they would say? And my answer to that was, I I would hope that people would be able to talk about covenant and kingdom. Because these are huge. And, And I think if you have... A solid biblical understanding of both of these things, what what's meant by this in scripture, you have a pretty firm grasp on on the central message. You're not going to be taken off on, on many rabbit trails, right? So this is the kingdom part, the kingdom of God. It, it's really, really important because first blush, we talk kingdom of God and people think, heaven when I die. Got my ticket punched, I'm just kind of making it through this life and I get to go to the fluffy place in the clouds and that's the kingdom of God way out there somewhere where I might make it when I die. That's not the biblical vision of the kingdom of God really at all. Uh, that, that's just some kind of cultural fabrication. In the Bible, the phrase the kingdom of God is about God's reign, the place where God rules or is actually king, not a, a place or a people. So if the kingdom of God is about where God is reigning, it's about where God is functioning as God, where God is is fully the king that he is and and received as the Lord of our lives, which he wants to be. I, I love the way Dallas Willard breaks these things down. The kingdom is God reigning. It's present wherever what God wants done is done. These are helpful, right? Because Jesus said he, he initiated the kingdom, he inaugurated the kingdom and it hasn't fully come yet but when he returns, he will bring the kingdom fully. So we're in this in-between time. Theologians talk about the already and not yet aspect of the kingdom, already here because we can see places in our own lives and in our world where what God once done, is actually happening. There's a lot where that's not true, but we get glimpses of it. And the kingdom of God is any realm where what God prefers is what actually happens. So again, the kingdom of God is not a place like Milwaukee or Minneapolis. You know, it, it's, it's a realm, a reality, where what God prefers is what's happening. And according to Jesus or, and John the Baptist, the kingdom of God, that reality where what God prefers is what actually happens, has come near to us. And if, if, you, if you do the homework on that phrase, the original language makes it quite clear that that, that coming near means really, really close. In fact, here's the definition from the, the big concordance. Ex, it means extreme closeness, Immediate imminence, even a presence, it's here because the moment of this coming happened. So, what, what, the, what those, that phrase means is something is here now that wasn't before because there was a moment when everything changed. And, and now that presence is right here. It's not, it's not near like Grandville is near to Grand Rapids. It's not near like ideas about God and Jesus and grace and salvation are closer to us now because Jesus came and told us about them. That, that's not the nearness. It, it, it's near like right here. Right here. I, this is helpful for me. The kingdom isn't over there, the kingdom is right here. Because the Holy Spirit has been poured out into our hearts. The kingdom is is right here, not way off when we die, not over there somewhere. The kingdom of God has come near. The primary message of John the Baptist, primary message of Jesus. You know, they both tell us to repent because the present reign of God is right here, right now. So we get the kingdom of God, You know, that that reality of what God prefers is what actually happens. That's right here, and then the command, repent. I beat this drum a lot. I hope you're not tired of it. I think it's very, very important because I see Christians everywhere getting the definition of repentance wrong. I I don't know if you have this experience. The way I see it playing out kind of in a, in a cultural Christian way is many Christians not even being able to really tell you what it means to repent. To try it, really. Start pressing on somebody. Say, hey, when you repent of something, what does that actually mean? What, what do you do? Uh, how, how do you know when you've repented of something? Is there a threshold? Do you have to repent enough? And what are, we, what are we really talking about here? It's really important because I think many of us, when we think of repentance, the definition that comes to our mind for that word is really the definition of the word penance, meaning religious stuff we do to make ourselves more acceptable to God. That is not what repentance means. Repentance means something quite different. The Greek word is this, metanoia. It literally means a change of mind about something. To to change your mind. I I myself have often illustrated repentance as a turning. If you've listened to me for any amount of time, you've probably heard and seen this. Like turning from whatever we're facing now, whatever has occupied our full attention, has our greatest allegiance in life, turning from that to Jesus, right? Right? But even that visual illustration makes repentance to appear like an external reality. And biblically, it's not that. That's, that's the belief part. That's the align our life part. Repentance talks about the, the internal change of mind. It, it, it's that, uh, that the nature of that internal th- change of thinking that is r- real repentance. So how do you know if you've repented we all need to stop the bad stuff we're doing that we know is wrong. That's not the fullness of repentance. Right? You, know, you know if you've repented, if your mind has actually changed, if you're thinking differently about something. right? It's not just a moralistic definition. I mean, there's... Um, so, so, thus, repent means changing your mind about God, this world, and your life, and turning toward Jesus. now, let me unpack this right? because this can be a little a little weird. think world view you know when you arose from your pillow this morning and your eyes opened out of the, the grace that is sleep and you found yourself in another day again, you awoke to that with some stuff working in your mind, some assumptions about what's really going on in this life and in this world. That's your worldview. Here's a definition of it. A worldview is a view of the world used for living in the world. We use our worldviews every day. It's a mental model of reality, a comprehensive framework of ideas and attitudes about the world, ourselves, and life a system of beliefs, a system of personally customized theories about the world and how it works with answers for a wide range of questions. That's a mouthful. I just think somehow all of us have pieced together some explanation of what we think is really going on in the world. Whether or not we verbalize verbalized that and, and are able to write it down. There's something functioning within us that guides us, that moves us forward, that says, "Hey, this is what's going on in this world, and therefore I should do this or that or the other thing." And there is a battle. That, in, in my opinion, this is one of the front lines of the spiritual struggle in which we find ourselves. Paul addresses this in Second Corinthians, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, because there is a barrage of thoughts. You experience this. I experience this. And how do we discern which of those are from God? How do, how do, what do we do with that? This is the subject matter really for more of a, a class, but Paul, Paul gives us a tool to do that, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ to discern the voices that we struggle with in our head or the, the ideas. Not, not all of us hear verbal voices in our head, right? Though some do, uh, but the ideas come, and you can feel them vying for your allegiance. Can't you? You can they get in there and they're saying, believe me, believe me, I'm true, I'm true. This goes on all the time. It's that, it's that battle for worldview. Repentance is changing your mind about God, this world, and your life and turning toward Jesus. It's adopting Jesus' view of the world. Now for anybody who's in this room and you're kind of exploring Christianity and you're thinking that all sounds nice but what should I do? Let me speak to that because I've been there. You're either in this room or listening to this message uh, via a recording. So that means you've taken some kind of step in exploring the Christian faith because you're listening to a Christian sermon. One of the most helpful resources I've found if you're exploring the faith right now is a book by a guy named Tim Keller called Making Sense of God. And he starts by unpacking how these worldview things kind of compete for our allegiance. So if you took the step of listening to this, take the next step and explore a little bit more. I'd recommend that book, or, or, or I'd be happy to talk about other resources, or just have coffee. So repent, changing our thinking. Now the thing that Jesus added to John's message was the belief part. This is really the external part. Right? It's so fascinating, because in our culture we have them just reversed. Right? We think of repentance as the external demonstration of belief, while biblically, repentance is the internal change, and belief was understood to be a life aligned with that internal change of thinking about what's really going on in the world. So belief means align your life, turn to Jesus. So basically the message is this, change your mind about God, this world and your life and turn to Jesus because the active reign of God is here right now, extremely close. And the passage we read this morning goes on to quote uh, from the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So you're saying, that's all nice. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. What, what do I actually do? What can I do during this time of, of Advent, of active waiting? How do I keep watch? In the historical context, this, this quote from the prophet Isaiah makes perfect sense because everyone in that day would have known a project like this. When, when a king, uh, maybe a foreign king who was going to visit a dignitary, maybe a, maybe a conquering king who was coming to a city that his, his uh, nation had had just conquered. When, when a king or lord was welcomed to a city, the citizens of the city would go out and make a better road for that king, uh, by which that king could come to their city. Uh, think highway project where you you know, shave off the top of the hills and put the dirt in the valley to make the highway smooth and level instead of like this. And, and you know how they, you know, get, get the right of ways and easements and such so the, the highway doesn't have to go like this. Instead, you can make a straight highway, not, not a lot of curves. You, you make the road smooth and straight. Prepare the way for the Lord. I mean, I, Isaiah was kind of envisioning a, a kind of a superhighway by which the Lord could come uh, on. Uh, see, pre- preparing the way of the Lord means making yourself accessible to God. They were making their city more accessible to that coming king. Thus, when we prepare the way for the Lord in our own lives, it's about making ourselves accessible to God. Repentance clears the way for Jesus to come in our life. Just think of the, the brush-clearing project in building a new and better road. Repentance makes the way straight. Cuts off the tops of the high places and puts the dirt in the valleys. It makes it, makes it smooth. Our repentance is the superhighway of Isaiah's vision. Right? Repentance prepares the way for the Lord. And this, this is what we do in Advent. We prepare the way for the Lord. Not by cleaning up our lives to make ourselves more presentable to God. Now, Again, if we're doing something we know to be wrong, we should stop, right? But, but we don't repent. We don't complete repentance by doing that. We complete repentance by changing our mind about God, the world, and our lives and turning to Jesus. Now, now again, we, we tend to think of repentance as punishment because we associate it with either stopping bad behavior in which we're presently engaged or starting good behavior to make up for prior bad behavior. Both of those angles on repentance completely miss the gospel. And ironically, the very first step in real Christian repentance is bailing on all that stuff. I mean, The, the authentic first step in Christian repentance is to change your mind on the idea that you can fix yourself. The first step is to embrace the truth that you're completely hopeless if left to yourself. That you can't fix yourself. That you're too far gone, too broken, completely irreparable from a human perspective. That's the invitation. Give up on trying and simply receive. That's the thing. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Change your mind about God, this world, and your life and turn to Jesus because God's active reign is right here. So two exercises for you this Advent. You might be thinking, well, how could I go deeper in repentance? Here's a spiritual practice. Choose some scripture. Maybe you like the four little books of Paul. I love those. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Maybe you pick the Gospel of Mark. Pick something Sit down with the scripture and before you begin reading, pray, Lord, align my thinking with yours. Help me see where I need to change my mind based on what I read in the Bible. And then read the scripture and respond. You know, the the Old Testament text that was read when the Advent candle uh, was was lit the, the candle of peace today. It was Isaiah's vision uh, of a peaceable kingdom. And the the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. This be- beautiful image. There's some great art uh, that portrays this this picture of the entire world at peace. No more enmity. Uh, the apostle Paul writes in Colossians: Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Very interesting, that word rule actually means referee. What that passage really means is let the peace of Christ make the calls in your life. So you can turn it around and make it a filter. So read scripture, ask God where you need to change your mind, that's the repentance piece. And entering the peaceable kingdom, let the peace of Christ make the calls in your life. If you're confronting something, if you have a question about something, pray. God, would this increase or decrease my sense of peace in Christ if I were to do this or that? Let the peace of Christ make the calls. Let the peace of Christ referee the decisions of your life and follow that path of peace. So it's not just a sermon. It's not just a religious idea. The Lord Jesus came, he lived, died, rose again, and he lives right now. The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your table and the peaceable kingdom it represents. Would you pour out your spirit on all of us? Would you align our thinking to yours? Show us where we need to repent and change. And help us enter the peaceable kingdom you inaugurated. And help us live there every day, every moment. In Jesus' name, amen.